It ain't the left side or the right side, then it must be the fence side. Thank you, Solo D. Welcome to another episode of On the Fin Side here with Cat and Paul. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Spreaker, iTunes, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I am Brian Cat NFL. Paul is fanatic underscore pick. Paul, I picked the Dolphins to lose 28-7. You picked them to lose 42-17. Instead, behind Ryan Fitzpatrick, Devontae Parker, Matt Hawk, and Jason Sanders, they upset the Philadelphia Eagles 37 to 31 as 10 point underdogs to punch a big giant hole in their season as they chase the NFC East title. So Dolphins are three and nine now with really three winnable games coming up. So now what? You know what? Honestly, I, I'd even say four winnable games because there is a possibility the Pats won't be playing for anything in week 17. So if the Pats aren't playing for anything, I don't expect them to be rolling out their best Sunday dress for that game. At this point, you know, honestly, screw it. Go for it. I've totally, today basically put me totally in the Brian Flores Kool-Aid campaign list. And I'm not talking about drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm talking about diving into a vat, a vat of it, swimming around, and, and gargling it while I do backstrokes and make Kool-Aid angels or whatever you want to say here. I mean, it, it's, I think no matter what Chris Greer gets in the draft, Brian Flores can find a way to win with those guys and, and the rest of this coaching staff too. It I'm starting to think. Sounds crazy with a three and nine team, but at the same time, I think Miami's just set up to get good players. Like I said, weeks ago and, and ready to rock here. Yeah. I, I, I've always said that as if the Dolphins win and cost themselves draft position, I want it to be worth it. But we take a look at the last several weeks. I mean, the last five weeks, the Dolphins are three and two. <laughs> and you look at the three games before that, they barely lost to uh, Washington. They barely lost to Buffalo and they were beating Pittsburgh 14 to nothing on Monday night football. I mean, this is a team that's been competing for a while. They've looked bad for the last two weeks, but they have been competing with, again, an XFL caliber roster that we're talking about here. Completely. And if if you want to make the argument that coaching doesn't do it out there, it's the players that do it, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Uh, you look at, and I'm going to name off some names. I said it on Twitter today. Devontae Parker, Mike Gesicki. Davin Godchow, Charles Harris, to some extent, Jerome Baker. You know, you look at those guys, those guys that under previous regimes have been utter garbage to serviceable at best on that list. And I'm fully in on giving Devontae Parker a salary bump and a four-year extension at this point. I'm fully in on Mike Gesicki now as, as that mismatch piece that's going to cause fits for people. You know, I'm fully in on Davin Gotchow and what he's turned into and the monster he's turned into along that defensive line. And I'm not fully in on Charles Harris, but you know what? He's a lot more productive player all of a sudden than anything I could have expected. Yeah, they actually took a look at Charles Harris and tried to find out what he's good at and not being a wide nine pass rusher. He wasn't that at Mizzou. I saw him for three years. I don't know why they 
anybody thought he would be that type of player. But he's not playing at a ridiculously high level, but he's at least contributing now. And I think you're starting to see a lot of those pieces contributing on both sides of the ball, and those are ones that we can hang on to for 2020. So, yeah, there are going to be a lot of players added here in the draft and free agency, but you you do have a lot of players that are going to stick as well. So let's take a look at the game here, Paul. You know, this is how one side of the game was. The Dolphins, at, at the beginning, the Dolphins get the ball to start the game. Ryan Fitzpatrick throws the interception to start off. And immediately we're thinking, oh, gosh, here we go. In the first four minutes of the game, with four minutes into the game, the Dolphins got the ball first, and the Eagles were up 7 to nothing with the ball in Dolphins territory again. And the Dolphins got the ball first to begin the game. This was looking rough. And you look at the Dolphins' first three drives of the game, they had six total yards on offense, and 15 of them were on a roughing the passer penalty by uh, Timmy Jernigan. Then the next six drives, spanning from five minutes left in the first quarter, really to the end of the game, or four minutes left in the game. You've got six plays, 84 yards, touchdown. 13 plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Six plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Six plays, 61 yards, touchdown. Nine plays, 96 yards, touchdown. 13 plays, 50 yards, field goal. Those are six drives in a row. And if we take out just the kneel, I'm not leaving out any drives. So you're talking about a team that that played Philadelphia, a, a team that hasn't let let up more than 17 points in the last four weeks. It's amazing how much better the offensive line looked as far as pass blocking. It's amazing how much better the passing game was and effective it was. Once Kalen Bellage was out of the lineup and Patrick Laird was in the lineup, and he wasn't a world-beater running the ball. He had some effective plays. But he was a persistent threat out of the backfield in that short screen game that's just as effective as running the ball and also helps hold the defensive line at bay. Once they did that, Miami was able to tear apart the Eagles' secondary, which I loved it. I loved every minute of it from that fourth and four pass to Devontae Parker through the final bell. It, it, it was just utter fun for me watching this game. And I can't discount the defense either. The defense did some fun and special things, given the fact that you literally had to look at your playbook and and read who the hell some of the guys were if you hadn't been watching extremely closely like I know we have. Yeah, on on defense, they did a good job of holding tight, even though they weren't able to provide a great pass rush. And uh, as far as the defensive backs, not only are all of them, literally all of them on injured reserve or with another team, but they also had two starters missing from the, the current group, which were Ken Crawley and Stephen Parker. And so they were able to insert a few players and a couple of more problems, which we'll get to in a bit. So, I, you know, I think this was certainly a fun game to watch as a Dolphins fan. And, you know, I, I did a quick poll, just kept kept it open for a few hours. Was this Dolphins victory worth it? And 68% of people said yes, 32% of people said no. Uh, but I think if you had asked a couple of weeks ago, then those uh, th- those numbers probably would have been flip-flop and people would have been rooting for the Dolphins to still secure that number one pick. I think things have changed a lot now. 
uh, as we continue to go forward. So let's take a look at the position-by-position position grades here, Paul. Ryan Fitzpatrick, 27 for 39, 365 yards. It wasn't quite the 401 yards or whatever he had last year when he played the Eagles, but uh, still gets the job done. If you had told me after that first miserable interception that the combination of Ryan Fitzpatrick and Matt Hawk was going to go 27 for 38 for 366 yards, four touchdowns and no interceptions for a quarterback rating of 140, I would have said you're insane. Uh, but what I like about Fitzpatrick is he doesn't overlook things or overthink things. He sees Mike Kosicki and Devontae Parker down the field one-on-one, -on -one, and he lets the ball fly and lets them make the play. If, if Ryan Tannehill had that ability over the last seven years to do the same thing, he still might be here a quarterback today. But a hell of a game for Ryan Fitzpatrick. I'm going to give him an A-. minus. The only thing I'm going to dock him for is uh, the interception. Early, any he did miss a couple of throws. But overall, a really good day from Fitzpatrick. It was a good day from Fitzpatrick. He showed a lot of leadership out there. And really, it showed a huge leap of faith, the way that he was just throwing the ball up for grabs, counting on guys like Kosicki and Parker to just beat their matchups. And I'm sorry. I don't know what the hell uh, – oh, God, what's his name? The the corner for the Eagles, 31. Um, uh, Jalen Mills. Yes, I don't know what Jalen Mills did to Ryan Fitzpatrick, but that poor man, it couldn't have been anything as bad as what Ryan Fitzpatrick did to him in the second half today. It, it's it's like they went in the locker room at halftime and somebody basically said, hey, Jalen Mills has some photos on his phone of your wife, and Ryan Fitzpatrick just went out and made him pay, made him look stupid, and just completed pass after pass after pass over Jalen Mills, got him called for pass interference, just made him look so utterly like he was the CFL roster player and not what Miami's fielding in their secondary right now. And Jalen Mills was easily the lowest corner in this game. I don't even have to look at PFF to see the grades. Yeah, and Ronald Darby wasn't much better. In fact, those two uh, long passes to Devontae Parker, one was the, the fourth down play and, and the other one, uh, he, he put the ball up for him, another 40-yard play down the field. Uh, we're both on Darby, and then he just picked on Jalen Mills for the rest of the game. So uh, great job there by Ryan Fitzpatrick. At running back, Kalen Bellage has been a punchline really everywhere, definitely on the show over the last several weeks. We always have a new stat for him. He did leave the game with a leg injury, and, you know, if if – it's going to be more than a week or two. Just put this guy in injured reserve. Put him out of his misery. I feel bad for the guy at this point. I mean, I, right now, he, I mean, three carries for no yards, 74 carries for 135 yards, 1.8 yards per carry on the year. And like you said, Paul, you, you hit the nail on the head. When Patrick Laird got in the game, he didn't do anything special. But what he did do is, for his size, did a very good job in pass protection. He – just went up and turned around and played that Danny Woodhead role like we've been talking about. And when he did that, the Dolphins were able to move things down the field a lot more effectively because they weren't just living in the backfield the entire time and hoping that Kalen Balazs was going to break a tackle, which he never did. So, But at the running back spot, you look at the end of the day, 15 carries, 25 yards, and 11 of those 
run one run by Miles Gaskin. So I hope they keep Patrick Laird in there um, and give Miles Gaskin some some touches there too. In fact, it might even be a better idea to have Miles Gaskin getting the sh- lion's share of the carries and then Laird being in there on third down or in obvious passing situations. But good job by Laird in the passing game. But other than that, it was not a good day at the running back spot. So I'm going to give them a D plus. I'm going to give them a C here. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that while Laird didn't contribute hugely in the running game, I mean, he averaged, I think, a half a yard a carry uh, on his 10 carries. What he brought to the field and, and what I like from him for the future as far as being that third down back, Miami doesn't have to look for a dominant receiving threat out of the backfield anymore for next year. That, that's one thing they can check off their list at the running back position. Possibly the only thing they can check off their list at the running back position. But I will also say if Kalen Balazs starts the game next week, I will be there. I've already warned the Dolphins NYC crew, and you'll hear it on TV. Make sure you turn your TV up if Kalen Balazs is out there for the first snap because you are going to hear a Patrick Laird chant from several thousand Dolphin fans at MetLife Stadium. It's going to be the loudest chant for somebody who's averaging under three yards of carry on the air. There, there's no doubt yes. about that. Uh, it's, but he, by default, he is the best back. There, there's no doubt about it, especially in the passing game. Uh, I, I, I'd like to see what if Miles Gaskin, if they can get him going east to west a little bit more. He did turn the corner really well on one of those runs too. So, but really, the star of the day, Paul, receivers and tight ends. I'm going to throw it back to you on that. I'm going to give you a sneak preview. Devontae Parker gets my player of the game, even though Mike Gesicki was right there behind him. Um, you add to that, they finally found the the little bit of the secret sauce to using Albert Wilson effectively. Alan Hearns actually was not a liability either. Um, Durham Smythe got in on the action, had two catches in this game. And I don't know if we count Jason Sanders as a as a wide receiver in this one, but he sure had one hell of a catch. I'm easily giving this group an A. They took over this game once the Eagles had to worry a little bit out of the, about the backfield. I'm giving them an A, too. I mean, it's probably the first time all year that we've we've both given one position an A. I mean, I, I'll tell you this. if to act, I mean, in, in addition to everything you said there, then anybody who plays quarterback for this team, uh, assuming Devontae Parker gets extended, uh, is a fool if they are not seeing what Ryan Fitzpatrick did in this game. Find Mike Gesicki and find Devontae Parker on these vertical routes, and if they're one-on-one, it's bombs away. That they bring special skills to those positions, and I'm not saying that they're that they're you know Pro Bowl players right now, but as far as height and winning one-on-one matchups, and this is a game of matchups, absolutely. And so, so I'm hoping that these these are two mainstays for the next several years. Right now, the Dolphins have Devontae Parker on a very, very cheap two-year, $13 million contract. We expect that to be extended here soon. Yeah, good for Albert Wilson, too. 63 total yards on the day, 31 rushing, 32 receiving. He's worked hard to get back. I'm still not there as far as him being on the team next year. I'd rather have the cash, but uh, good for him. Along the offensive line, man, oh, man, a rough day for whoever plays left tackle. I mean, Julian Davenport was just destroyed uh, throughout the game by by Josh Sweat. 
by Derek Barnett. It didn't matter who he lined up against. Then he got injured. They put in Jamarcus Webb, and Jamarcus Webb gets destroyed on the first play. This is a position the Dolphins absolutely need to fill. And luckily, it's very deep in the draft at offensive tackle. Hopefully they can get somebody to at least play at a mediocre level. That would be a major improvement right now. Uh, There were also a few comical plays, too, with Daniel Kilgore and Shaq Calhoun getting destroyed by Fletcher Cox. I mean, but Fletcher Cox, he's an all-pro player, you know, a borderline Hall of Famer at this point. But still, I mean, if the Dolphins are going to expect to compete week in and week out, it's not going to happen until this position is fixed. And like you said, too, Paul, when Patrick Laird got in the game, the Dolphins were able to move down downhill a little bit more in their passing attack. So that helped out the offensive line. But, you know, overall, I, I can't give this unit, based on what I saw, anything better than a D plus. Yeah, I'm going to give them a D here. And I know they looked better once the defense had to worry about other things. But at the same time, it just wasn't good enough. It, it, you outlined a lot of the issues. It just was not good enough. Their best play was literally that goofy, uh, what did they call it? The double wide gate or whatever they want to call that there, the split gate. And, you know, that was where they didn't really do anything other than distract people. And that was probably their best play So, as a unit. So, yeah, easily for me at the – it's unfortunate, but I do think it's where Miami's going to be the most aggressive in free agency. I sure hope so, and because they need to get three or four starting caliber players on this offensive line if they're going to compete. I just want players who are going to do their job, and they've got too many right now that don't. On the defensive side of the ball, you know, they did give up 31 points, and Carson Wentz was 28 for 46, 310 yards, three touchdowns, an interception. It feels like it was a lot less than that. Um, but at, at running back as well, there was a pretty healthy yards per carry between the two running backs, Miles Sanders and former Dolphin Jay Ajayi. Um, Sanders had 17 carries, 83 yards. Jay Ajayi, two carries for not much. Overall, 4.8 yards a carry from both of them. So, you know, it, everything goes back to, Paul, that, we, you know, we can we can play the same thing every week that, not enough pressure on the quarterback. The Raekwon McMillans and the Davin Gotchaws are stout inside. And you've got a defensive back group that is just on their last legs. And, and they're going to be throughout the rest of the year. So looking at the front seven, I'm going to throw it to you first on that. Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, again, like you outlined there, they they weren't getting enough pressure on the quarterback. But they got the pressure that they could with the personnel they had. I mean, I liked what I saw out of Van Ginkle, even though he barely made the stat sheet. Um, I still love Vince Beagle. I, I'm sorry. And Davin Gotchow, I think, continues to play well. I don't think he's going to show up huge on the stat line very often, but what he does affects the rest of the defense. There are a few pieces away on defense. We know this. I can easily give the front seven. I can give them a C-plus. They bent, but they didn't break yeah, I'm going to go with a C plus as well. Um, you know, the as far as Vince Beagle is concerned, even though he hasn't provided the same pass rush that he has over the last couple of weeks, I think he's turned into a very good overall player and a better one against the run. He's incredible at using uh, using his hands and using the position he's at on the field 
to make a difference and run defense, to funnel plays back to the inside. Good to see Andrew Van Ginkle on the field, too. He didn't do anything that really necessarily stood out, but it was, it was good to see him get some reps there on defense. Uh, what I was really impressed by, too, was Sam McGuavion. I mean, this is a player that we were excited about here in preseason. It, it really hasn't come together for him this year, but he made a lot of big plays in this. He had three tackles for loss, and he had a sack. And that sack was big because at that time, the Dolphins were down 28-20, to 20, and the Eagles had the ball at, at the Miami 20. And, and they could have gone up by 11 points there, and who knows if the Dolphins come back at that point. Instead, they get pushed back to the 30, and Elliott attempts a long field goal, which he misses. Dolphins stay up by eight go down the field and, and make it a 28 to 26 game and eventually come back and win. So kudos to Sam McGuavion on that. One player I want to see step up here is Jerome, Jerome Baker. I mean, I'm starting to think this might just be a role player heading into 2020 as, as harsh as that sounds. It seems like a lot of these players on the front seven are playing to the best of their ability. I'm not sure if Jerome Baker really is right now. So yeah, I'm going to go with a C plus as well. Uh, at defensive back, like we said, Carson Wentz, 28 for 46, 310 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Alshon Jeffrey had quite a day. And, you know, try as they might, the Dolphins cornerbacks, even though the, the coverage was usually pretty tight, um, he still had nine catches for 137 yards and a touchdown. A lot of this was off of uh, Nick Needham, and he he caught a couple there off Ryan Lewis as well. Uh, Ken Crawley did not play in this game, and you know, it's it's it was a rough rough outing there for some of these cornerbacks on these plays, even though they played pretty tight coverage. Jeffrey still comes down with the ball, but what I'm really impressed by it in this defensive back group is Eric Rowe, and he keeps playing better and better at that strong safety position. He was tasked with covering Zach Ertz, who is an All-Pro tight end. And I know Zach Ertz was, was a little bit hurt heading into this game, but he had three catches for 24 yards only, and that's one of the worst games of his career. He said after the game it was one of the worst games of his career. Uh, and Eric Rowe broke up at least one touchdown there from, from Ertz. Um, also a cornerback, too, Ken Webster, even though he did give up a lot of, of catches to, to Alshon Jeffrey, too, I still think this is a guy that looks like he belongs. Before he ripped his knee in college, he – uh, was supposed to be a future first or a second round pick. I I'm really excited to see what they could possibly bring back. So, you know, again, we keep talking about effort every week at defensive back. If we're judging on effort, we're probably going to give them an A every week. But taking a look at this, I I'm going to give them a C plus. This is probably going to be our biggest gap here. Um, I'm going to give them an A minus. And while that may sound ridiculous, it's the Eagles completely, completely abandoned the run game. And outside of Al Alshon Jeffrey, I mean, Dallas Goddard, or Goddard had six for 66. We all know what a special talent he is. We've spent enough time talking about him on this show. And then they pretty well shut down everybody else. I mean, you look at Aguilar with three catches for 41. Ertz with three for 24, I think, for 25. Sanders was five for 22 coming out of the backfield. Arcega Whiteside only had one for five, and Greg Ward Jr. had one for five. As, or, sorry, Arcega Whiteside had one for 15 and a touchdown. But, I mean, really, they did a really effective job, especially with how worried we were about them. 
I won't say it's just effort. I mean, you look at Alshon Jeffrey. He, he's got special ability when he wants to. And, you know, Dan Marino used to always say the perfect pass beats the perfect coverage. I'm not going to ding these guys for getting beat a few times when they have perfect coverage. I'm just not. I mean, it, it's – I can give them an A-minus and feel comfortable with that because I do think they played very well today, especially in the absence of a pass rush. Yeah, as the game went along, they played better and better, that's for sure. Two guys I thought struggled were uh, Montre Hardage, who was promoted just a couple of days ago, first NFL game. If I were to point the finger at somebody for Carson Wentz's first two touchdowns, it would be at Montre Hardage. Uh, Ryan Lewis is a player that I think is going to phase out after the year. I mean, I, I, I see these defensive backs showing like they belong, uh, if not in a starting role, at least in a backup role. I'm not seeing that there out of Ryan Lewis. But, yeah, and kudos to Chris Lamans too, for his first career interception on the final play of the game, where that ball was really up in the air, and, and he came down with it. And there are a lot of uh, a lot of plays this year where he could have had interceptions. So he's a good special teams player, and I, I think you're starting to see a, a lot of these backup defensive backs. Like, if you've got – heading into next year, if you can get a cornerback opposite Xavier Howard and a free safety – if you if your five through eight are Bobby McCain, Jamal Wiltz, Ken Webster, Nick Needham, I think that's pretty good at defensive back. Yeah, Miami's really set up well for depth for the future at the very least. I mean, I, and and I like Nick Needham. I mean, having him be the third corner would be the ideal for next year. See how he develops, and you know, maybe maybe he steps into a bigger role at some point. I'd still like to see Miami pursue Byron Jones, especially given the money that they have. But at the same time with Needham now, when he's your QB or cornerback too, opposite Xavier Howard, they don't have to stretch for somebody they don't believe in now on the opposite side of the field from X. And that that's a great feeling to have going into next year. You bet. And it's nice to see a defensive coordinator and a coaching staff that, that doesn't have the idea of, hey, let's play 10 yards off the ball and let's just hope they fall down before catching it. So I'm I'm very impressed with that. I mean, you, you look at, I mean, they the opposing quarterbacks were catching almost 70% of their passes last year. I mean, our, our quarterbacks were completing almost 70% of their passes last year. Now that number heading into week 14 is 64.3. So a much more respectable number with less than half the talent. And Paul, we finally saved uh, the best for last. I mean, one of the plays of the year. Uh, it, I mean, we've talked about Jason Sanders uh, having one of the sp- special teams plays of the year. What was it, last week or the week before, where he, he had the onside kick to himself? And then this week, uh, <laughs> I mean, Matt Hawk uh, gets the snap. I, I don't know what the hell they're doing. I, I was like, this looks like the stupidest play in the world. This guy's going to get killed in the backfield. Matt Hawk flips it to Jason Sanders for a touchdown that puts the Dolphins up 14-13. to 13. What was your reaction to this play? As soon as I saw them line up, I went, ooh, because I like that type of stuff. You know I like that type of stuff. You know I like when teams get creative. I mean, I've seen the swinging gate plenty of times, but it's not really the split gate before. And I love the fact that Hawk sold the run. Um, you know, I, you got to remember, too, as a defense, when you see something weird like this that just does not compute, you don't know exactly where to line up. You don't, you, you know, you saw, I think there were two guys on Kilgore and they kind of hesitated off the snap as well. Cause they, they had no idea and God, they didn't want to get beat 
by somebody, you know, running right around him. So it was a beautifully, beautifully designed play on that. And I, I absolutely loved it. And I knew, I knew everything about it was legal because really your guys on the line, you can spread as far as sideline to sideline. Um, so long as the ball gets snapped from where it's placed, that's the only thing. And absolutely loved, loved, loved the aggressiveness and creativity that Miami showed on that play. And who knew I'd be given, you know, on a, a day where they didn't have much as far as returns went, they had a couple of penalties, Matt Hawk shanked the punt and, you know, Sanders missed an extra point, but made even more of a case to possibly go to the pro bowl with his, his first touchdown reception of his career. And they, they really, truly had the play of the game. So I was very happy with this one. And I'll give him, I'll give him an A minus. You know, if you count just the pros and the cons, I, I, my grade would probably be a C plus or a B minus, but I'm going to, I'm going to go right there with you on the A minus just because of the magnitude of the play and the impact it had on the game. And yeah, Sanders missed an extra point and they also too, tried an onside kick after halftime, which is becoming a little bit predictable at this point. But while on that play, and, you know, you, you detailed it perfectly, and Jason Sanders nails a 54-yard field goal to ice the game. That's exactly the type of, of, of kicker that you want in that situation. Uh, it's it's 34-28, to 28, and, and the Dolphins trust him to make it 37-28. to 28, and, and And then the Eagles could not come back from that point. So, Paul, who is your player of the game and your Coke bus player of the game? Devontae Parker, player of the game. Easily. I don't think I even need to say anymore. Yep. What I saw from him, it just absolutely dominant. And, and given the absence uh, of a true secondary re- receiving threat, and I'm not counting uh, Gasicki in that, but as far as the wide receiving core go, it makes it even more special that, they were able to focus a lot of resources his way and he just, it didn't matter. It absolutely did not matter. He won on contested ball after contested ball today, player of the game, pay the man. Uh, as far as my Coke bus player of the game, I'll go with Julian Davenport. It's, and I know it's an easy punching bag. The left tackle position was never supposed to be anything but Laramie Tunsil until the Texans sweetened the offer. But in all honesty, it just isn't good enough, and it scares me. That's the one personnel group that really scares me, that it feels like Miami didn't have a plan for if Tunsil got hurt. They really didn't because, you know, some of these guys are, are, are replacements they got after the fact, and they're not good enough, let alone what's behind them. Yeah, and I'm not quite understanding why Chris Reed or Isaiah Prince is not active on game day I, I don't I mean if, if for anything else move Jesse Davis to left tackle see what Isaiah Prince has at the right tackle spot my player of the game obviously would be Devontae Parker but I, I'm going to give it and I could give it to Mike Kosicki but I'm going to actually give it to Eric Rowe at strong safety I mean I am I am all for extending his contract and re-signing him and playing him nowhere except strong safety moving forward because he's been outstanding since he's been there I mean he caused problems for an all-pro tight end all game. And I think in a normal situation, if Zach Ertz catches his usual six passes for 75 yards, the Dolphins might end up losing this game, and the Eagles are even better on offense throughout throughout the matchup here. As far as my Coke bus player of the game, I'm going to go with Montre Hardage. I mean, I again, could be an easy punching bag. 
but he really struggled here in his NFL debut. Uh, you know, I feel like everybody is very disciplined in assignment sound at defensive back, even if they don't have the talent to, you know, shut down receivers. But Montre Hardage, I at least, based on first glance, uh, hold him responsible for the first two touchdowns by Carson Wentz that, that had the Dolphins down 28-14 to 14 at one point. So, finally, Paul, when you look at the draft order, the Dolphins came in, into the day with the number four pick. They leave the day with the number four pick. But the Washington Redskins also came away with a victory today. Dolphins could have had the third pick. And uh, when you look at the Cincinnati Bengals, they win their first game over the New York Jets. And if the Dolphins had dropped that game to them and the Bengals are 2-14 and 14, and the Dolphins are 2-14 and 14 in a few weeks, the Dolphins could have the first or second pick of the draft. But, again, finally, we, we keep getting into this. Like, I, I don't want the team to, in, to intentionally be bad for two-thirds of the season to secure a high draft pick for a college kid. It's, it, it doesn't make sense, and I'm glad that the team is playing well. I can finally say that. No, I'm completely with you. And, and you look at Miami's schedule the next few weeks. Miami could potentially, as you look across the, the, the NFL landscape, they could be potentially be picking as late as 10th or 12th. Uh, there are a lot of very bad teams this year that have some very tough stretches coming up. And, you know, each win drops Miami several positions at this point. I mean, you look all the way to pick 15 in the NFL draft, every single one of those teams has a losing record before you hit a 500 record. And that's, that's telling right there. I hate to say it. Miami could end up picking 12th and then 22nd and 23rd potentially. And I have faith in that. I think this coaching staff can get a lot out of a player pick 12th, 13th, 22nd, 23rd. They've shown it with guys that, that are just pulled in off the street. I'm going to give them a little bit of faith with what, whatever they pick, wherever they're at at this point. Like I said, I'm swimming in the Kool-Aid vat. Well, I look at it as, as a win-win right now. I mean, if I had to guess on their final record, I would say 5-11. and 11. I, I'd say that you look at the next three weeks, at New York twice, which is kind of weird. Uh, they play at the Jets, then at the Giants in the same stadium the following week, and then the Bengals at home. I feel pretty good they're going to win two of those three games and the Patriots are getting their butts kicked right now against the Houston Texans so I I really expect New England to play their starters because they'll be playing for at least something here in the final week so I expect them to finish two and two that would get them to five and 11 and they're probably picking somewhere between five and eight in the NFL draft and you know I, I still think there are a lot of good players there too and some people may think, well, you know, winning five games compared to seven, is there much of a difference there? Like, maybe not, but the difference is that you're going to have nine draft picks in the first two rounds over the next two years with a lot of other draft picks and a lot of other salary cap money, too. So this is a definitely a very different situation than we've seen in years past where it's been an overbloated roster and not enough draft picks thanks to the Mike Tannenbaum-led regime. And that will do it for our breakdown of the Dolphins' stunning 37-31 victory over the Philadelphia Eagles. You can follow Paul and I on Facebook, Twitter, Spreaker, iTunes, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Brian Cat NFL. Paul is fanatic underscore pick. And if it's not on the right side and it's not on the left side, it is on the thin side. So, Lodi, take us home. 
It ain't the left side or the right side. Then it must be the fence side. It ain't the left side or the right side. Then it must be the fence side. Listen, Dolphins fans across the land all tuning in to see what Brian Cat and Paul about to do. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.